Hello, HR peeps. Yep, it's Ricky Baez, co-host of the HR Talk podcast. Hopefully, everybody's having an amazing week so far. By the time you're listening to this podcast, this episode, it'll be June. I'm recording it. Actually, I'm recording it right before my trip. I'm going to be going to Europe. I'm going to be there for about a week or so. We're doing a European cruise. So by the time you get this, um, it'll be when I'm halfway through that. And uh, at least I wanted this to go out and to connect with everybody and just to see how, how the hell is everybody doing. I mean, it's uh, halfway through the year. 2023, it's halfway done. And, man, it just feels like Christmas and New Year's just happened a few months ago. I mean, it kind of did, but half a year, it's already gone. And, uh, man, and more and more things we get to learn. I mean, this time last year, ChatGPT wasn't a thing. Now it's dominating the news cycle, um, at least in the business world, because um, there's a lot of people out there who don't know what it is, other people who do know what it is and are afraid of it, and other people who know what it is and just cannot wait to see it mainstream. I am one of those folks. I use it quite often. I got a TikTok on it. I'll I'll put it on the uh, on the uh, uh, show notes. But uh, let me tell you, folks, it is an amazing tool. But we're not here to talk about that tool. We are not. We do have a guest today. But before we talk about our guest, I wanted to let everybody know that on June twenty eighth. That's right, June twenty. Just a couple of weeks, uh, Janine Crocky and myself, Ricky Baez, we are going to be delivering the recruiting in twenty twenty three, halfway over and beyond strategies for success webinar. It is a free webinar. It is going to be done live from the A one A Beachfront Studios. It is not recorded. It will be recorded, but what you're going to get is a live presentation. Janine and I have been working on this for quite some time, so we got this bad boy ready to go. That will be on June 28th. On, um, it's on 2023, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you go to the website Biasco Learning and then go ahead and click on the Biasco Learning classes, you'll see the link there to register. You do have to register to attend. So click on that link, again, Biasco.com, then go to the Biasco Learning uh, classes tab and you'll be able to register there. It is 100% free and it is certified for one PDC through SHRM. So after that... I'm going to be, actually, Janine and I, <laughs> Janine Crocky and I are going to be presenting at the 45th Annual HR Florida Conference and Expo. It is going to be on August 27th through the 30th. Uh, Janine and I are going to go live on the 29th. We're going to be talking about what you need to look for in 2024, what you need to do to make sure you stay ahead of the game on attracting talent, selecting talent, and most importantly, retaining talent. So that's going to be at HR Florida. And then shortly after that, I'm going to be over at the Rising Tides of HR. It is the Maryland Sherm Annual State Conference. That is on October 1st through the 3rd. It is going to be in Cambridge, Maryland at the Hyatt Regency Chesapeake Bay Golf Resort Spa and Marina. Man, I can't wait for that. Um, Johnny C. Taylor is going to be the kickoff speaker, keynote speaker. Rachel Druckenmiller. Uh, she's she's also going to be the a keynote speaker and myself, Ricky Baez. I will be the closing keynote speaker for the event. Tickets are still available. Just go to MarylandSherm.org. Again, that's Maryland 
shrm.org and you'll be able to get tickets there. They are still available. Now, folks, I had the amazing pleasure to sit down with, this is, it, it, it's, let me just, I'll start over. This guy knows exactly what to do when he sees an organization that could be more efficient and he knows how to hit the right levels, put the right plans in place in place to make sure the organization is running as efficient as it possibly can be. And of course I'm talking about Mr. Michael Goritz. So let me tell you about Michael. Mike is a certified organization development professional that helps small businesses identify and execute opportunities to make, to make systemic changes that improves results. He has been a two-time speaker of Disrupt HR Orlando. Trust me, I've seen him. He's awesome. And serves on the board of Junior Achievement of Central Florida. Prior to owning his own OD consulting firm, Michael was the head of organization development for a seven-time Inc. 5,000 company where he focused on people, process, and strategy execution. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Michael Goritz. Check it out. Michael Goritz, my man, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ricky. Thanks for having me, bud. No, dude, it's it's been a while since you and I have been talking. Ever since I met you over at uh, Disrupt HR, and you got up there and you killed it, right? And you know, I you that. oh, it you you you've done it twice, right? In Orlando. Yep, I'm looking forward to maybe doing Jacksonville or some of the other cities at some point. But you know, it's a great time. Just want to let you know, Jacksonville is coming up, and that is in. I saw uh, that. September 13th. For those of you listening, Jacksonville Disrupt HR 2.0 is live on September 13th. I'll send some more information on that. Man, so yeah, you got to go to that one. But Michael, let, let, let's 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 get down to brass tacks because when I first heard you speak, right, it, it's I've heard of org development before, and I've 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 dabbled in it. Part of HR is kind of org development, but mm-hmm. there's a big difference. And just for the audience, from your perspective, what is the biggest difference between human resources and org development? Yeah, you know, org development, everyone does a version of org development, whether you are at the leadership level or you're in HR. And, and org development's definitely part of the human resource uh, dealing with human capital. The difference has to do with the emphasis on process improvement. Okay. Uh, you, have, you have three branches, really, if you want to think about org development. You have your people development, your process development, and then ultimately your, your performance development. How are we developing or how are we executing on the ROI initiatives of the organization? And so org development really focuses on the strategic aspect of the business to not only improve processes, but make sure that the processes are cohesive with the organizational culture. If you can't have alignment between organizational culture and the processes or the techniques that you take to deliver your products or services, then ultimately you're not going to have the performance you need, which increases your employee relations issues, which is then it starts to hand off yeah. to your HR team. And that's when I come in, right? So exactly. <laughs> so here's what happens. It's every time somebody says org development or anything of that nature, um, when people first start into, into, into building a business, into entrepreneurship, they never really think this is something they're going to have to deal with. So let me pause real quick. Let's come back to the beginning. How did you get into this industry? Sure. You know, I, I, I think what a lot of people do when they get in, even into HR, 
Like you go to college, some people go into college and, and they and they study HR, but a lot of folks, they end up, they're in a different role and yeah. they end up in HR because they see the value that HR brings. For me, I was working for uh, an Inc. 5000 company. So for those that don't know what Inc. 5000 5, is, five Inc. Inc. 5000 are the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the nation. Got it. And so I was the director of client services for uh, an Inc. 5000 company and we were doing fantastic. But my main emphasis, because of the way my brain works and, and, and what I've been doing for many years in HR, was a process improvement. The emphasis okay. was how do we increase the speed of execution for our clients and also how do I retain my team through systems, through tools. Mm. Uh, and so after doing that for a while, the leadership team said, you know, the business is continuing to grow at a rate of 40 to 60% per year. We need someone who is dedicated to org development and we want you to be that person. So I, I said, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And I, you know, got certified. I went through and became a strategic partner in the organization. And, you know, for, for seven years, we hit the Inc. 5000 list for seven years. And, and many of the execution of the strategies that were decided on flowed through my department. So mm -hmm. I was the head of OD. Uh, and which eventually led me into opening my own consulting firm, which is what I'm doing now, and helping small businesses see their company as a an org dev opportunity, Got building it. that infrastructure to accelerate their growth long term. So something interesting you said, this is something you was looking for. Somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, we need somebody to do this. And you're the, per the perfect person for that role. So, I mean, did did, did you... When somebody tapped you on the shoulder, did you say absolutely? Were you scared? Did you jump right in? Did you take some time to think about it? I so mean, here, yeah. So yeah. here's how it was: we actually had someone who was in the organization as an intern for their master's program doing OD, and whenever we would meet and and we would go over my internal processes, it was just such a great conversation. I was giving him resources and opening him opening his availability up to my department. Yeah, uh, we just soaking it in, and then one day he stopped showing up. And my CFO, I, I start to ask him, hey, where, where's, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, yeah. but hey, where's so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. It's part of the internship. If he doesn't come back, it's kind of on him for not, not coming back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I just kept probing, well, where are his documents? He took a lot of documentation. I want to make sure I, I execute on that. And I think that's what ultimately led to the CFO saying, you know, Mike, you, you've done an amazing job with your department. We've hit numbers that we've never hit before. And I want to see that replicated in other departments wow. in the company. And you're the guy who has the vision for it. And I said, absolutely. I go. mean, <laughs> and with no hesitation, let's do it. Let's see what, you know, what happens. Uh, and thankfully, it's all worked out since that point. You didn't have not one ounce of, man, I don't know if this is a good idea or I'm scared of, of, of making this jump. I, okay. was, I was terrified. <laughs> but the, the fact that I did it to success yeah. And the fact that knowing organizational development, everyone does a version of OD, whether you're in accounting or, right. or yep. you know, you're, you're a frontline associate and you're looking at your job and you're saying, I could do this better or I can service my customers in a way that they'll want to come back or you're a leader and you're you have good retention or you're finding ways with, with good motives to keep your employees. 
you're doing organizational development. The matter is whether you're doing it in a formal institution style um, approach. That's where you have to get studied. That's where you have to get certified. That's where the formal training comes into play. But everyone does OD. It's just a matter of how good you are at doing OD and, and, you know, not to, not to be big headed, but apparently I was, that was just who I was. That's just how my brain is wired. And I did it very well. So in college, what did you want to do? I was in marketing. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) I got it. (laughs) What? You're the third person today that I'm talking to that went to college for marketing and or sales and is doing something uh, a little bit different. Well, the, the beauty with marketing is that my favorite course in marketing was subliminal marketing was the the psychoanalysis <laughs> of <love> how <laughs> marketing or advertising impacts behavior of customers yeah. so that 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 uh, employee behavior that customer behavior aspect of marketing it really translates very well over yep. to org dev because you're studying you know organizational psychology in many respects yeah. So see, okay. So now I'm a person, Michael, that I I have to I gotta I gotta touch things for me to fully understand. It. I gotta go through the process. So to give the audience a like like a glimpse on what you do every day. Let's say I'm a well, I am a small business owner, but let's say I own a t-shirt shop, right? I'm a small mm. business owner and I got a t-shirt shop. I've been in business for five years. I'm doing okay, and I got five employees. And for some bizarre reason. I, I I got a lot of turnover. I'm losing money left and right. What what are what would a conversation between someone like you and me sound like? Yeah. So the starting point for me, as you're describing that, is I want to know deeper those pain points. What are those things that keep you up at night? And not only for your current state, but what is that future state goal that you have in mind? What is that vision that you have for the organization to achieve? And we need to assess the gap between your current state and your future mm. state. What, what are those things that we're missing in between? And we want to do data collection. So we might do a, a survey or a focus group with your employees. We may do a survey with your customers to mm. get feedback on essential things in the business, things that we call, uh, as part of our organization, we call it spots. We want to do a spot assessment. We want to look at your strategy your processes, the outcomes that you achieve, and then your time. I knew that was an so, acronym. I knew it. <laughs> so look, yeah. So, so looking at that aspect of the business from both sides, whether your clients or your employees, collecting that data and understanding what people are saying about your business, data dictates direction. Yeah. So if you don't have data, how do you know where to go? How do you know what to change? I would say in the HR world, if you don't have exit interviews or at least some form of feedback from your employees to know why they left or why they stayed with your stay interviews, then you don't know how to continue moving forward. And the same thing with OD. We need to find out what are those things that bring satisfaction to your clients, to your employees? What are the pain points that they have? And where's the alignment and misalignment between your pain points and the pain points of your key stakeholders? Once we have that data and that information, then we can formulate a plan to say, in order to really achieve that future state that you're that you're looking to achieve and to address your pain points, here is your roadmap. And it's going to be many stops yeah. towards to get into your future state, but outlining exactly what those steps are and starting to attack it from a from a systemic tool based approach and not just philosophical or theoretical, which a lot, you know, a lot of consultants, that's what they do. They'll give you this philosophical, theoretical, motivational, which there's, there's room for that organizational development. I would say HR as a whole, we're hands-on. 
We focus on actual solutions, hands-on, getting dirty, so that we can see you achieve your future state. Nice. So now, it's it's. I'm a big fan of pulse surveys. I'm a big fan of exit interviews. I just posted a, a, a short clip online on the social medias. Go find it, folks. It's Biesco uh, over on on YouTube and um, in uh, Indeed. Oh my God, what's the TikTok? I just started using there TikTok not too long ago, so. I'm getting there. <laughs> and, you know, I talked about the importance of those surveys, but mm. the information employees and now customers, which I'm going to uh, hop on that here in just a bit, the information that the employees give you is only as good as how safe they feel in giving that information, right? So how do you how do you address an issue where you notice every single employee saying, yes, boss, this is great. Everything's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, you know, I think it's twofold. One, it's the way the questions are asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in research through Harvard Business Review, it says that when you ask questions in one of those surveys, it's almost like a 360, but it, it, except the person filling out the survey should be assessing themselves. So here's an example of okay. that. If I'm an employee, I, I'm going to say in the, in, the, in the questionnaire, I'm going to read the question. It's going to say something like, I understand or I'm familiar with the mission of the organization. I know the core values of the organization. So I'm assessing myself rather than the question being about my leader. My leader conveys or my leader displays core values. Well, that's an opinion. Yeah. If I'm assessing myself, in turn, what I'm doing is assessing the organization because the organization is responsible for teaching you the mission. The organization's responsible for demonstrating the core values. So as an employee, if I don't know the core values, it's going to go back to my leadership to some degree because my leadership should be showing me and teaching me the core values. So if I say, no, well, I don't know the core values as as a part of assessing myself, it is a reflection on leadership. And so we want to make sure we're taking that on. So. Uh, to to the leadership to hold them accountable because they're always going to be accountable. <laughs> so that's kind of one aspect of it. Let the employees and the clients assess themselves off of key areas of, of your organization. So that's one. But two, we want to make a disclosure very clear. As my organization, Org Dev Group, we always put the disclosure that we are putting our reputation on the line to keeping your information confidential. Mm-hmm. Good organizational development folks or survey folks, it doesn't matter where the survey comes from, they should never allow the survey to be self-revealing. If there's ever if there's ever identifying information that somebody puts in the survey, whether they, you know, put comments in or they say, hey, you know, Ricky, I report to Ricky for the last two years and I've been in this role and I hate it. If they start to put some key identifying information, it's the responsibility of the person keeping the survey to scrub that information so that Ah, it's not revealing what you want. You don't want to change what's being said as far as the as far as the the actual content. Uh, or or what's being meant by the information? We don't we don't need all the details. We just need to know. Hey, there's there's a, there's there's an employee that's not, um, or there's um, uh, employees that may not see a career ladder for themselves, or people might assess themselves and they might believe that there's no future opportunity for themselves. I don't have to say that this person doesn't like Ricky. Correct. That's yeah. irrelevant to the information. Yep. We want data. We don't want to be a rat, right? We don't rat people out. We just want the data to improve the organization. So it's really up to the, to the person who's hosting the survey to protect and scrub that information. And we put that disclosure right in front. Your information is not going to be shared. We will scrub the information to make sure that's the case. 
and you can count our reputation on that. And that is good information to know, Mike, because here's what it's I've done this a bunch of times. And one of the things that I run into is, again, everybody's saying everything's great. Everything's awesome. But that's good information to have, because even if the organization is taking the 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 big steps to make sure that the information is confidential, you're right. Sometimes the the employee themselves or the respondent put in revealing information. So I'm glad you said that, that there's that there's that um, that safeguard in place to where that possibly revealing information could be, you know, can be, can reveal somebody's information or can, like you said, rat somebody out. That's why it's crucial for organizations to go outside with this kind of work. Bring somebody in from the, someone like you, right? Because that's why it's, and and Mike, that's how you and I are in business, brother, because, (laughs) because for for the same thing with HR, people bring me in when they want to do training done a certain way, they want their HR fix, or they want to conduct an investigation from a non, from a third party that has no emotional investment or professional investment anywhere in there, other than me being hired to do that job. But let me ask you this. How do you handle, how do you handle, and it's, Please forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'll take it. Okay, because it's it's I'm seeing some similarities in what you do and what I do, even when we were working for an employer. Because what you do and what I do, we have to be really crafty in mm-hmm. how we communicate really bad information to key mm-hmm. stakeholders. So it's to be more specific, what you just said. You said that the they the your step would be to do a 360. Some of those 360 is to find that information about leadership. If you find out the problem is leadership, how do you communicate that to the person writing your check? You know, it, it's it's a it's a thing of integrity. I think ultimately if the the leader is not inclined to receive the feedback so that we can all have a check in the future, mm. then then there's a, a systemic problem in the organization. Um, you know, having personally having to have gone to the highest levels in organization and, our, and, and for organizational development, our primary client is at the executive leadership level because okay. they're the, the decision makers ultimately. They're setting the strategy. Our role is to help support the strategy. And so... In order for us to get to that point, we have to show them the benefits of the feedback, no matter how difficult it is. It's not about ego. It's not mm. about feeding, uh, you know, how, how great you are or creating this polarizing impact on on your career. It's about the longevity of the organization. And at the highest level, I would say at the CEO level, making sure that the CEO is communicating that message back down mm. to their direct reports in that this the organization's outside of us. The organization's going to continue. Even if we're not here, the organization will continue. We've got to make sure we're setting up the company for success. And guess what? In turn, the organization will need us because we're putting forward the go. most important piece. It's the company. And if we, if we have that mindset, if we can serve our employees and our clients in that way, and it's not about us, then we all win. We can all cut checks. We can all give That's ourselves right. raises and bonuses. But until we get to that point, I've had to deal with leaders that you know, have, have huge egos or that take things very personally. And that's okay to some degree. It's not so much how they, how they feel about it. It's their response. Okay. If they start to retaliate, we got a bigger issue. That's right. It, it's about containing that emotion and, and helping the leader go through that feedback because leadership is not exempt 
from feeling yeah. bad, from feeling not, you know, accepted in the organization. Just because their check is bigger doesn't mean that they feel any more valued in the company, especially if they're getting poor feedback from their yeah. from the direct reports. So there's a sense in which we have to get their buy-in. We have to show them the value in the organization and then the bigger picture, point them to the bigger picture and be their support the whole way. And, you know, and, and this is where building relationships is key mm-hmm. because the best way for you to, to communicate uh, crucial information, information that the, your business partner or your client may not like, it's only well received when you build relationships, when both parties knows you're there for the right reasons. Right? right. And, you know, in starting out in HR about 22 years ago, that was the hardest part for me. The hardest part for me was I need to know how to communicate that kind of information and not worry about how the person is going to respond. Because at the end of the day, we need to fix issue A and B because X is being affected, whatever Absolutely. the case may be. Right. So I learned that throughout my career. So one of the things that I do in my classes here at Rollins College is talk to people and teach people how how to communicate effectively, especially in what you do. You got to be able to, especially if you know who the problem is, you mm-hmm. can't just go to that person and say, hey, Mike, you're the problem, right? But mm-hmm. you need to communicate that in such a way that the person, yes, they feel that sting, but they don't take it personally. What steps mm-hmm. do you take before having that kind of conversation uh, for, the, for, for the audience listening that they can implement tomorrow on how to communicate bad information to somebody who's sensitive? Yeah, I mean, it it all comes down to styles, I think, at the end of the day. I mean, everyone has a different style, whether you do DISC or PI or whatever other assessments you're into. Um, Every style processes information differently. Some people do that vocally. Mm -hmm. Some people do it introspectively. Uh, You know, others might just be agreeable. So you have to look at each of the style and some will be very defensive, you know, as far as why and justify themselves. Yeah. And and we really have to look at each response and say, okay, before I go into this conversation, what is the style of the person I'm speaking to? And what is likely the initial response? Because I think the fear sometimes is the person of wrath, right? It's the leader that has that personality that they're 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 very vocal they can be very defensive to me those are the easiest people to deal with because once you overcome that initial wave and you kind of let them vent and you and you and you let them go through that process they're more inclined because they've weighed in That's right a little bit on their <laughs> survey right. they're more inclined to talk about solutions my fear are the leaders that are just agreeable yep. my fear are the leaders that really don't have much to say and they keep it to themselves and they're willing to implement a strategy right away something's brewing in their mind and in their heart about what happened at least i got to see a response externally yeah. from someone when i don't get a response at all and they're pretty neutral i want to full information from them just to make sure that we're not just being agreeable and moving forward. And then there was resentment. I want to make sure that once we leave this room, we've moved past any sort of, uh, of, of difficulty with accepting the feedback. And now we're moving into implementation. Now we can accept our faults because we, if we're leaders, we've accepted the role to be a leader. That's our role. We're no better than the admin. We're no better than, than any of the other key stakeholders in the organization. We have a specific role and we have to have tough skin as far as what we've been given. The feedback that is given about us, it's a mirror. 
And if we can't accept it, we shouldn't be in leadership. Mm. So I think that's kind of where I, my approach is. I like to approach it from the styles, knowing the style, predicting what the response will be and adjusting how my response will be based off of the style that's in front of me. Oh, Michael, man, I can talk about this all day long. No, because you and I share some of the same, it seemed core values when it comes to attacking a situation like this, yeah. especially in communication, especially with leadership. Because, you know, I've seen some leaders that, that, just because the feel of the title that they have, they have to hold up the specific persona. But when I coach with them and then I have conversations yeah. about how to how to be influential with your team, one of the things I tell them and they're really surprised by is to be vulnerable. I tell them that's the big V word. It is it's perfectly okay to be vulnerable in front of your team because they need to be able to see that you're a human being. And that's how you build a culture of trust. Right. Absolutely. Especially if you're a storyteller like me, because I tell a bunch of stories and try not to do one right here. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're someone like me, I like to use stories to help bring some kind of to humanize whatever issue we're currently going on right now. Right. The only time I could not do that, to be honest with my team, was during this pandemic, because I've never been through anything like that before. Oh, yeah, yeah, you has. know, so it's. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you're bringing a humanistic approach to what you do, because at the end of the day, these are human beings that you have to connect with. These are human beings that you have to build a relationship with in order to move that needle from A to B. Yeah, and and they're and leaders are not exempt. I think we put a lot of pressure and yeah. and, and a lot of um, you know ownership on leaders, and and that's appropriate because of their role. But we we put them in a position of you know being able to walk on water, and none of that's true. They are yeah. just as vulnerable. In, in not the volunteer in a way that they're volunteering that vulnerability, but they're exposed to being vulnerable because of what their position is. And so we have to be mindful of that. I think Forbes had put out an article saying that 70 percent of leaders were leaving or thinking about leaving their role because of the pandemic, all the I, changes yeah, that were yeah. happening, behavior, customer behavior, yeah. employee behavior, strategy changes, technology. It was so overwhelming that they said, I can't handle this pressure. It's too much. And on top of that, I have to deal with my family issues. Yep. So just because I'm in a position of leadership doesn't mean I'm exempt from feeling those feelings of of stress or anxiousness or, or any of the normal things. So when we approach our leaders, we have to assume that there's some major pain points that prevent them from sleeping at night because their role requires that of them. Yeah. And so for you and I, from a consultant's perspective, you know, we do, we do um, uh, EQ, emotional intelligence yep. training. And from an emotional intelligence perspective, we have to be able to approach them using emotional intelligence mm -hmm. to teach and extract from them emotional intelligence so that they can improve as leaders. And that's what I noticed with this pandemic. I noticed that if EQ was going to be a test for most leaders during the pandemic, everybody would have failed. Absolutely. <laughs> everybody would have failed because it, again, we, we don't have a playbook. For, I mean, we do now, right? Hopefully nothing like this ever happens again, but we, we now have a playbook on where to look in case we're faced with something. So for example, I was, um, it's, it, I was still working in my, in, in a W2 job when the pandemic happened. That's what mm -hmm. kind of caused me to go consulting full time. Cause I was part-time for about nine years in within a week, we had to mobilize 4,000 people nationwide to work from home like that and then we started thinking we need laptops 
we need all this equipment. What about the people who don't have Wi-Fi? What are we going to do with them? It's this whole thing. And I don't know how we did that in seven days, but it happened. (laughs) And what you started to see was your onboarding, your provisioning, all of those systems that your business should have, you saw how many holes were in those oh, systems. Oh, my goodness. It, and you're it, like, yep. well, now not only did we get through this difficult time as a, as a one-off, now we have to figure out how to do this long-term in twofold. One, our normal, our, our regular provisioning and, and onboarding, but also in a contingency uh, capacity. So yep. now contingency plans are part of your typical processes that leaders should have in, in their succession planning realm, leaders should, should establish their, their contingency plans yeah. for their department and also for the organization because of exactly what you mentioned. Oh, no. It, <laughs> and trust me, some of those contingency plans should be checked and double checked because, oh, because yeah. Uh, yeah, I was working for an organization a while <laughs> back where uh, we had, it was a call center, right? And in that call center, they had a, uh, um, um, in case we had to go down because of a hurricane, then it'll go to a satellite center to take mm-hmm. our calls. Do you know where our satellite center was? In, in Melbourne, so Florida. Oh, <laughs> oh that doesn't so, make it. right. <laughs> so once I found out, because I'm like, well, hold, hold up, hold up. In case Flo- Orlando gets hit with a hurricane, there our satellite is. center is in Melbourne. Yeah. Melbourne is, for those of you who don't know, it's about 45 minutes west of, east of oh. Orlando, <laughs> right on the shore where any hurricane might come in. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's interesting because you're right. Sometimes we have to wait for a big disaster for us to yep. see the holes that, you know, it's almost as if this is something we're supposed to be doing proactively, but a big disaster kind of forces us to do it reactively. I think exactly. it was Paul Rodriguez, the comedian, who said, war is God's way of teaching us geography. <laughs> You know, some of these some of these countries in the past 30 years that have been to war, we've never heard of. And next thing you know, you got to learn all these things. So it's so true. I mean, it's part of it. It is part of business, right? It's yeah, part it of that is. game of business yeah. where you don't necessarily feel like you can plan for everything. But I remember uh, uh, the the, uh, the president of Jackson Healthcare, who's uh, he has a book called Fostering Culture. Mm hmm. And he uh, amazing. What's his name? Conglomerate out of uh, his name is uh, Shane Jackson. Okay. Uh, So it's uh, the conglomerate out of uh, uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. Okay. And uh, and he said every leader at some point within that, you know, first couple of years of service as a leader, they should create a succession plan for their role because you never know what can happen. So it's looking at what you adopted, so how you inherited the role, the onboarding, every all the components, the decisions that are part of your role, and then you implementing or making adjustments to what you receive because you never know. You get hit by a bus, something happens, mm. hurricane, whatever goes goes on, the business as an entity needs to continue to thrive because as a, as an as an organization, there's people that depend on the organization. Yeah. People who are buying your products, people who are working for you, they depend on the organization. If the people depend on you as a person, the company is going to fail. Mm. But if you can systemize the business so that it's about the organization and whatever head you put on that role can run the business, that's ideally where you want to get. Yeah. So, Michael, man, let me tell you. I, I, we're going to need to have an, a full day dedicated to, to, to this topic. Cause again, I'm down. I, I could talk about this all day. So <laughs> let's do this in closing. What are three things you want our audience right now listening to walk away with? 
you know, I want you to think about there's so much change happening in the world right now that it's ongoing. We're in a post-pandemic era where you have uh, employee behavior, customer behavior, workplace changes, just so many changes. You have to, one, be open to change. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to this idea of change. Two, you have to be open to assessing the feedback. So just all the things that we're talking about and being real with the fact that you may not be where you need to be in. Uh, and three, be willing to invest in the future, whether that's dollars that you hire a consulting firm or time where you are taking the time to work on the business instead of only in the business. And if you fail to do any of these, you're, I would say in the next few years, your competition is going to pass you. Even if the competition's only been around for a few years, you are putting your company at risk because you haven't done these three things. Look at that. Michael Goritz, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Ricky. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find him at www.orgdevgroup. That's O-R-G-D-E-V. It's a Victor group.com. If you need org or if you need any organization development help, any type of, of, of soundboard, is there any other way people can reach you, Michael? Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn uh, at uh, Mike Goritz or Michael Goritz, G-O-R-R-I-T-Z. Um, or you can email me, Mike G at orgdevgroup.com. Awesome, brother. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good one. Well, what do you think? I told you, folks, there is when it comes to a business that grows relatively quickly, even if it doesn't grow quickly, if you have a business that just grows, there is going to be some things that you can be more efficient in. You bring a professional in like Michael to make sure that you're doing the right things at the right time for your business and put a strategy in place for you going forward. So, folks, that's the show. Hopefully, I'll see everybody on June 28th. At the Biasco Learning Class Studio, again, Biasco.com, Biasco Learning tab, and you can register there. If not, I'll see you uh, over in HR Florida, or if not, I'll see you in Maryland. Either way, we'll connect. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>